Ephesians chapter 6 is where we will be tonight. We are in the portion of Scripture which most comprehensively speaks of the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. I'd like to read verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Well, we've spent two weeks looking at verse 10, discussing our need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We saw last week in verse 11, that we need to put on the whole armor of God in order that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's tricky. He's crafty. He's cunning. He's deceiving. He's after you. He's lying in wait. The Bible is absolutely clear that the devil seeks to deceive us on the Word of God He seeks to deceive us in refusing to restore relationships. And He seeks to deceive us in the simplicity of our salvation in Christ. We're just recapping right now from last week. In addition to those three areas, we know He is at work in every area of our lives. He's after your kids. He's after your marriage. He's after your home. He works in all kinds of ways. Some common areas are in books, music, and movies. He wants you to believe that whatever it is we partake in that's not right, that it is just. That it is just a book, or it is just a movie, or it is just a song. But we must be on guard against that kind of thinking. We didn't really get into how deep Satan tempts us. But remember that the devil will not show us the end result of what it is we're being tempted to do. We don't see that the end result of beginning in alcohol is to be a drunkard, addicted. We don't see that. We just see how it it would maybe relieve a situation. Maybe make us feel better for a minute when we're buzzed. But we don't see the end result. You understand the liquor company is one of the few industries that they are ashamed of their most loyal customers? 
We don't see the end results of being a drug addict. He doesn't show us being high and strung out somewhere. He won't show you how being addicted to pornography is filled with unnatural desires. He won't show you being broke from a gambling habit. He won't show your family life being destroyed. He only shows you the pleasure of sin, but never the end result. Because of our adversary, we are told in verse 11 that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Remember that it is God's armor. The only way we can get God's armor is if we enlist in God's army. We have to be born again if we want to be fitted for the battle. And we have to put on the whole armor of God because the devil is a master at finding our weak points. Finding our weaknesses that will lead to a besetting sin. He's been doing it for thousands of years. And the tricks of the devil are really nothing new. It's been the same things. It just keeps working. But it's God's armor. We've got to be in God's army. And for those who don't know, because sometimes I take for granted, everybody knows some of these things. But the devil used to be the angel Lucifer. But in his pride, he sought to elevate himself above God. And God cast him and his followers down. Don't believe the teaching that Lucifer and Jesus were brothers. It's nonsense. Now Lucifer is known as the devil, the dragon, the old serpent, Satan. And you could ask some people and they'll give you some other names. I mention this because I want to remind you God created Lucifer. He created all the angels. He is the creator God. He has all power over His creation. Therefore, the creature never gets to usurp the creator. Amen. So understand, He is a created being... That cannot, will not, ever overthrow God. Satan is no match for God. What this means and why I think this is important to just highlight some of these things is because there is no power struggle between God and Satan. Sometimes we are made to believe that. There is no power struggle. God is all powerful. And he can cast Satan into the lake of fire whenever he sees fit. That just happens to be at the end of the thousand year reign. And so we've seen in our study through John on Sunday mornings that Satan, who is called the God of this world, has been judged by Christ because God is all powerful. And you need to get this fact settled as we talk about spiritual warfare and being fully armored for the battle. And I I mention all of this because even though Satan is a master at finding our vulnerabilities, when we are thoroughly right with God and fully armored up, 
we can experience victory. We can have victory over the wiles of the devil because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We just need to learn to die to self in the process. And that's the hard part for us. Let's pick back up tonight in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Immediately following the statement that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he writes, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Meaning, Satan is the one who seeks to deceive. Satan is the one who's at work. Satan is the one working to deceive mankind. But the temptation we have is to give credit to somebody other than the devil for causing issues, for causing temptations, for causing deception and lies and all these things. But remember that humanity is really just an agent, an instrument that manifests the spiritual realm. For example... We saw how Satan seeks to deceive us by twisting the word of God and by trying to deceive us in complicating the simplicity that's in Christ. Therefore, all false doctrine that's out there, it did not originate from man's wisdom because Satan is at work behind the scenes. The modern Bible translation corruption that we see today did not begin with man. Textual criticism didn't begin with man. But behind all of it was Satan at work. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And please believe me when I say I'm not being ugly by telling you what I'm about to say. But all the false doctrines contained within the Catholic Church did not originate entirely from the popes. But Satan was at work. Mormonism did not originate with Joseph Smith. Satan was at work. The Jehovah's Witnesses did not originate with Charles Taz Russell. Satan was at work. Christian science did not originate with Mary Baker Eddy. Satan was at work. Scientology did not originate with L. Ron Hubbard. Satan was at work. The same can be said when it comes to all the various religions out there. We like to say religion is man-made, and I understand that statement, and I'm sure I'll still say it throughout my life. But the reality is religion is Satan-made. He's the one working behind the scenes. I would tell you it's satanic. Buddha wasn't truly the author of Buddhism. Muhammad wasn't truly the author of Islam. Confucius wasn't truly the author of Confucianism. Somebody help me with that one. Amen. Hinduism wasn't developed from man's ideas. 
But Satan is at work behind the scenes in every one of those cases. Every false religion in the world. Even when it comes to atheism and agnosticism, Satan is at work. We also saw how Satan seeks to deceive us by keeping relationships from being restored. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so we are tempted to say so-and-so is the problem. But really Satan's at work behind the scenes. Because the Bible is absolutely clear here. We don't wrestle. We don't war. We don't fight flesh and blood. We sometimes like to lay all the blame on Hollywood for all the wickedness in movies. But the reality is Satan is at work behind the scenes. In some cases, he's openly at work today. I don't know that there's ever been a time, I'd highly doubt it, that the satanic realm, the forces of evil, have been so manifested through television and movies. And I can't remember the last article I read, but it was listing all the TV shows that are out there in recent years that focus around wickedness of the devil. And so it's just amazing. We like to blame Hollywood for that, but Satan is at work. And listen, the same is true for certain segments of the book industry, certain segments of the music industry. Wherever there's unrighteousness, we can be sure Satan is at work. Anything contrary to God's Word, you'll find Satan somewhere working. Therefore, at its core, our battle is not against false teachers. It's not against religions. It's not even against people. It's not against Hollywood. It's not against book publishers. It's not against music labels. But our warfare is against Satan himself. And sometimes what we like to do, and we err when we do it, is we get up here on our hobby horses and we bless out all these industries and that becomes our platform and our focus when the problem is Satan's actually getting one on us again because where we belong is in the war on the whole armor of God, praying for our country. But we get distracted with all these other issues when that's not the main source of the problem. I told myself I wasn't going to preach, so let me get back to talking real quiet. Now, what's interesting about verse 12 is we see there is a structure in the wicked spiritual realm. There's a hierarchy. There is a government, if you will. To the church at Pergamos in Revelation 2.13, the Lord said, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And then it goes on to say, where Satan dwelleth. To the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia, we read about the synagogue of Satan. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was in mourning. For three weeks he had afflicted himself. He would not drink wine. He would not eat meat. And uh, he wouldn't eat anything that would defile him. He had no pleasant bread. 
He had his heart set to understand what had been told to him. And then he received a vision. And he received a visit from a heavenly messenger, which said in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. We see there in Daniel chapter 10 that there was a ruler over Persia in the spiritual realm that had to be battled. In verse 20 of Daniel chapter 10, it says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And I'm just simply trying to establish that there appears to be a rank and file in the realms of wickedness. We know this is true on the heavenly side. God is in command. Next are the angels. Michael is called the archangel. Then there's mankind. There's a rank and file. And I mention this hierarchy because I believe we have to consider what Paul is saying in his day there in the first century. The climate in which he's writing verse 12. First of all, he's writing this from a jail. He's imprisoned. He's imprisoned because he's a Christian. The earthly powers at that time were very wicked. We think we have it bad. Not even. Some parts of the world, yes, but I'm talking about here in America. And from the Caesar to the Herod to the local level judges like we read about with Pilate and so forth, there was wickedness. And according to secular history, Paul was eventually beheaded under the very wicked reign of the Caesar Emperor Nero who absolutely hated Christians. And Paul here, he's saying, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And he's going to lose his life to flesh and blood. But he says, no, that's not the problem. The problem is there's spiritual wickedness in high places. My point is because verse 12 speaks of this satanic government, if you will, then I think there is wisdom and understanding that our governmental powers and politics can be impacted and are impacted by Satan. I've heard some good theories out there and based off of what I read in Daniel 10, I tend to believe them that there is a hierarchy over parts of the world. An angel over America, an angel over a state, an angel over a city, an angel over a county, an angel over... And I don't know if that's true, but we can see some hints of that from Daniel chapter 10. And so we have to understand that governmental powers can be impacted. Satan is called the God of this world. He's called the prince of this world. And oftentimes when you find that word world, it is the Greek word cosmos. And it refers to the order of this earthly system of government. The system in which you and I live and operate. This world. What do we always say? We're not of this world, but we're in this world. Something like that. 
Um, If I got that backwards, just flip it around. Amen. You'll figure it out. Whatever makes sense. And so this earthly world system, which includes our governments in that sense, one of the devil's temptations of Christ when he was in the wilderness and what's listed for us was after Christ had fasted 40 days in the wilderness, the devil took Christ up into a high mountain and he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, this is Satan saying to Jesus, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You see, as of right now, the kingdoms of this world are not Christ yet. Now we understand God's all powerful. He's over all things. But it will not be until the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation 11 that the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And so as of right now, these kingdoms, for whatever reason, God has allowed Satan to have an impact on how nations can go, at least to some extent, at least to the degree that the people are willing to let him, to give him that reign, to give him that power and that freedom. We are still under Satan's influence. In this world, in this cosmos, we learn that there are principalities, there are powers, there's rulers of the darkness of this world, which means here, this age. There's spiritual wickedness in high places. These are all governmental terms for leadership. Every ungodly regime in history, every communist state, every government which has forsaken God, every leader which has ever gone against God's Word, all have been a result of Satan's influence. Some will say, well, I find that hard to believe. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's what the Bible says. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we've landed on this verse during these days in which you and I live through this pandemic. If you are staying up to date on the news, then you know there's a lot of civil unrest beginning to brew out there. We've been fairly sheltered here in South Dakota, thank God. But in other states where governments are being ran completely different than ours, I won't mention the party that runs them, but protests against these governmental orders to stay home and orders for businesses to stay closed and so forth, there's now a a moving uh, resistance against that. But we need to understand that the fight, it goes much further than some elected official. We need to recognize that Satan's at work behind the scenes. Therefore, our battles need to be directed in the spiritual realm, not just the physical realm. And listen, I'm not saying I understand it all. Because I know there's verses about obeying governments and so forth. But that all has its limit. And it all has to be taken in context. And it's hard to really wrap our heads sometimes around all this because we also understand that America would not exist had we not rebelled against government. And so it gets kind of complicated, but I would remind you that even during the American Revolution, it was fought under the banner of an appeal to heaven. Which means they believed that there were certain God-given rights and liberties that everybody 
could be a part of, could partake of, if the government was right. And so even back then, the battle was recognized as a spiritual one. I think that's why it was successful. By the way, there is no more land on this earth to go and get. I mean, I don't want to live in Antarctica. Although they're corona free. But they're also in dark right now. I don't know how people live at the extreme latitudes. I don't know. Anyway. I'm going to get off track and start talking about vitamin D if I'm not careful. I'm sure you sense this sometimes as I do. But it feels like America will be the last great nation with a Christian founding. And my point is, this is it. This is our land. This is our government. This is what we have. And as frustrating as it's getting with some of our liberties, we're still blessed to live here. I'd still rather be an American than live anywhere else. But here we are. There's only one real way to change it. And that's with an appeal to heaven once again through prayer. We must get back to understanding that this is a spiritual warfare that we are in. We don't have to direct violence toward earthly leaders right now. But we need to fight our spiritual battle. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Don't you think God would turn the heart of our government and turn the tide in this nation if his children would fall on their face, pray and fast, cry out to the God of heaven to intervene? Don't you think God wants righteousness? If we would just get back to seeking His face. And I tell you, the longer this goes on, the more I just sense that God is saying, you don't need all that nonsense you were doing. What's important? Don't get so mad at government and then forget to realize that we need to be upset with ourselves because we're the ones who let it happen. The problem isn't that God wasn't powerful enough to keep America from backsliding into more of Satan's control. But the problem is we didn't want to retain righteousness enough. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We didn't cry out when evolution became cemented in our academia. We didn't cry out when abortion was legalized. We didn't cry out when the Ten Commandments were torn down. We didn't cry out when the definition of marriage was changed. We didn't cry out as our nation has now slidden past $25 trillion of debt. Now look at where we're at as a nation. We haven't lost anything. We gave it up. Not that our government has ever been perfect. But Satan came on the scene and corrupted it because we didn't fight the good fight of faith. We would none of God's counsel. We despise all of His reproof. Therefore, we will eat of the fruit of our own ways and be filled with our own devices. See also Proverbs 1, verses 30 and 31. 
We have so pushed God out of the picture that we refuse to collectively recognize that the problems we are facing today in government are the result of principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And I mean to tell you, we're in a mess. And we're in a spiritual battle. And we better wake up to that fact. I know prayer is mentioned in verse 18. But isn't it interesting how we talk often about the power of prayer, but we rarely see that power manifested. Where then does the problem lie? The problem certainly isn't with God, but we would have to admit that the problem is with us. And if we want to see our government turn to righteousness once again, then we must get back in the spiritual battle in the sacred place of prayer because we don't wrestle flesh and blood. Zechariah 3.1, it says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. In each of those cases, there was an unseen realm of wickedness at work against God's people. It may have been manifested through earthly beings, but the orchestrator was the devil. It isn't flesh and blood that's ultimately the problem. But at its core, it's a spiritual warfare. And I'm hammering this because you need to get it settled because it'll help you immensely in your Christian growth. Things will make much more sense because you will understand that every battle in life it's from one common enemy. We want to get mad and file for divorce because we hate wife, we hate husband. Satan is at work. The fight isn't really this complicated mess where it's this person who's against you. Or it's this government agency that's against you. There's one enemy. And what you'll learn is the best way is to put on the whole armor of God and let God fight your battles for you. And all you really have to do is walk with God. Because He is our victory. He is our peace. You might be wondering, then why do we have to have the armor if God will fight for us? Well, we'll see this more as we examine the armor in coming weeks. But the reality is, the armor of God is God. He is our truth. We'll talk about these different parts of the armor. He is our truth. He is our righteousness. He is our gospel of peace. He is the one we place our faith in. He is our salvation. He is the Word of God. And He's the one to pray to. He is our armor. So just go ahead and settle it that your real enemy isn't flesh and blood. It'll be manifested through flesh and blood. But the real enemy is the devil and his forces. Therefore, you don't have to be this bitter angry person. Everybody's against me. Not everybody's against you. The devil's against you. Those people who hate everything and everyone. And they make it their ministry to make sure you know about it. It makes pastoring fun. 
Amen. Here's an idea. Instead of hating everybody and every individual, just hate the devil. Let's close with verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Because we're in a wicked world, where there's wicked leadership, we are told once again to take the whole armor of God, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. In verse 11, we are told to put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Remember there, that word against means those attacks that are coming towards us. And here we are told to withstand in the evil day. Instead of attacks coming at us, withstand means to oppose. And this Greek word is mainly translated as resist. This is more active than just standing against. This is us taking action. To give you an idea of the meaning in Galatians, Paul uses the same Greek word when he wrote that he withstood Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. He took action. It's the same as in James 4.7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So you can see how this word here, withstand, it means to actively push back. If someone is to be blamed, then we blame them. We withstand them. That's what the Bible would say. That's what Paul did. You don't have to get all quiet. If somebody comes in here with wrong doctrine, we withstand them to the face because they are to be blamed. And that is from Satan. We're active. When the devil attacks, we resist him through our faith. And our faith is active. We don't have a dead faith. Now, I believe in context, this means we are to resist evil government. Now, before you open the armory, I also believe we are to do so within the confines of Christian behavior. The idea that Christians have no place in government is not a biblical idea. We should actively resist evil by trying to elect godly officials in an effort to pass godly laws. We should actively resist evil by standing for truth. We should actively resist evil by living righteously in this present evil world. We need to withstand the devil at every turn. If a politician is to be blamed, then we should without hesitation blame him. If an evil law is passed, then we should not hesitate to speak out in opposition. And we can do these things without losing our testimony or bringing reproach upon the name of Christ. We need to withstand, and having done all, we need to stand. We are to stand against evil in governmental powers, but having done that, when all is said and done, we must still stand as individuals. I believe that's what this is trying to tell us. We may not be able to bring about change to policy, because the fact is, God may have a different purpose in it that we can't see or understand. His ways are not our ways, and there's things He's going to bring to pass in the future that we may not fully wrap our heads around. We may not bring all the change that we want to bring. 
But we can all stand as individuals when our government fails us in the evil day. For example, they may change the definition of marriage, but we don't have to. They may believe life isn't sacred, but we can stand for life. They may think it's okay to rack up all this debt, but we don't have to live that way. They may think the Ten Commandments are outdated, but we can still live by them. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The world unknowingly, and as we see today and many times knowingly, will stand with the forces of evil. We now live in a day where if the Ten Commandments are posted, then the Satanists will come along and say that their statue needs to be posted as well. And we just give them whatever they want. We as God's children don't have to follow the multitude to do evil. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 say, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Not die, but... Don't go in the way of evil. We have that choice. It doesn't matter what the world is doing around us. It doesn't matter what laws they change, what definitions they change, how much they stand up for evil. We don't have to do that. Having done all, let's be the people that when God returns, He finds us watching. Standing for righteousness in an evil day. Let's pray.